Welcome to episode 38 of The Journey is the Reward. The opening music is performed by the Modelizio Youth Choir. I'm Brian Coleman, and I've been a frequent flyer for a large portion of my life. Most of my travels have been on United Airlines as a member of their Mileage Plus program. As a result of traveling around the world, I've flown over 5 million miles, and almost 3 million of those miles have been with United. This has earned me lifetime premier platinum status. Last year, I set a new goal to fly the remaining 300,000 miles in less than 18 months, this, of course, will earn me United 1K status for the rest of my life. Along with my co-host Micah, we're documenting me flying these remaining miles. On the show, we will talk about my adventures, the passenger experience, and who knows what else. The goal is to document the journey as it is the reward, so let's get started. Hey, Micah, we have a kind of special show today, and it's going to be the first part of a two-parter discussing my trip to South Africa. Definitely a two-part show. We've got a lot of things to talk about. We might even have a special announcement for the second part. Yeah, looking forward to that. And because this is kind of special, I just wanted to thank you so much for doing all these recordings with me. It's been a lot of fun, and it means an awful lot just knowing that you've been here by my side, being my captain on this journey. Well, it's been a blast joining you and being a part of this. It really keys me up to do a lot of something really different and really unique. Otherwise, you know, like since our last show, well, let me see, what have I done? Got a couple of blood tests, uh, finished my taxes, uh, you know, really, really critical <laughs> things. Stuff. So, th yeah, this, this is really, this has been great. But this week or, or this episode, unfortunately, we don't have any listener feedback. We're going to hold off on that. And besides, it's just as well that we do because we have a lot to talk about with your latest trip to South Africa, which was a long trip. And I really missed you. It was. I took a little vacation. Yeah. Enjoyed my time in South Africa. That's for sure. And here it is, as we're recording this, it's April 6th. Actually, yeah, it's my father's 98th birthday if he was alive. But Happy birthday, Lou. Thank you so much. This is a great, he would love this. This is a great way to celebrate. So you left, it's, it's April 6th as we're recording this. You left on March 26th, and you only just recently got back. So how did you end up traveling to South Africa this way? Did you end up going through South Africa, through, uh, through San Francisco, or did you go direct to Newark? Actually, flew on a 757 to Newark, ended up taking the red-eye flight, which was kind of unusual for me getting to South Africa that way. It was one of those price things. So I had a very long layover in Newark as a result of the red-eye flight. Well, you know, I like 7.5s, but they are only single aisle. So on a long flight like that, it can be difficult. But if it's a red-eye flight and you if you can sleep, it's not so bad. Were you up in first class? I mean, 7.5s don't have lie-flat seats, but were you at least able to lean back and be comfortable? Actually, on the PS flights that United flies from Los Angeles to Newark, they do have the Polaris lie-flat seats. But unfortunately, no, I was not upgraded. So I was in regular economy. Well, actually, I was in economy plus. So I had the up to five inches of extra leg room. Yes, I was able to get some sleep on the flight. So it left around, I think, 1130 at night and got into Newark really early in the morning. I can't remember exactly when it landed, but it was just the break of day when I landed. But I was upgraded on the flight from Newark to Cape Town. So that meant that I did have access to the lounge. I can just hear it right now. Gone. Newark Airport. The Polaris Lounge. <laughs> What's for breakfast? 
Well, it's not so much what's for breakfast. It's how do you sleep? And I was able to get into one of the quiet rooms and catch up on some of my beauty rest. So that was really nice being able to do that in the Polaris Lounge at Newark. That's great. What time do they open? Do you know offhand? Because you must have gotten in, what, around five in the morning? I think it was more like 6.30 and they were just opened. Uh, there certainly weren't very many people there. But yeah, I was able to get in right away. Not a problem. Yeah. Got to hang out in the lounge for many, many hours. Now, I've been to the Polaris Lounge in Newark and I, you know, use the showers, which are great. And I've mm -hmm. been in the restaurant and I've been, you know, all through it in the bar. But I haven't been in one of the quiet rooms. What's the quiet room like? Yeah, it has a sort of, I don't want to say a lazy boy chair because you can't adjust it, but it's a chair that's in a fixed position, in a reclined position, and it's quite comfortable just being able to lie down. And it's not flat. It has the curvature to it, but it's comfortable. And Blankets, pillows? No? No, none of that. Well, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, but it's okay. Again, for what it is, just a comfortable place to lay down, and I was so exhausted, it didn't matter anyway. Does it have a private bath or a shower within it? No, so you have to use the regular shower rooms to take a shower, which I did. Are you limited to a certain amount of time in there? No, it's pretty much first come, first serve. And yeah, I don't think people really do what I do, spend 12, 14 hours in the lounge. So it's not a problem. People cycle through fairly regularly. So yeah, not a problem. So you got some sleep, but how much? How long were you in there? Do you, do you know offhand? Probably three hours or so. Yeah, because I did sleep on the on the red-eye flight as well. So, yeah, sort of caught up on the sleep that I didn't have on the flight. Okay, so three or four hours. So now it's around 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, more or less. How long were you there? We boarded the flight at about 7 p.m. So, yeah, a long day at the airport. You had a full day in the Polaris Lounge. Yeah, except I took some time, went over to Terminal A and checked out in greater detail the new Terminal A. So that was kind of kind of fun to see that. Did some plane spotting, got caught up on many of the podcasts that I was so far behind on. So I actually just really enjoyed the quiet time being in the lounge by myself. And that's right. They did build a brand new terminal down at Newark, Terminal A. And what did you think? Anything really different? There's no United Club open there yet. So that's unfortunate. And you have to take a bus to get there because they haven't finished the train. But other than that, I mean, it's a nice, spacious, airy, a lot of floor to ceiling windows. So a lot of light in the building. So it's nice. It's just not quite ready yet. But not like the uh, terminal in, in Singapore. No, absolutely. Nothing's like the terminal. I don't know. I, maybe the airport in Dubai is like the terminal in Singapore. But yeah, I've yet to find an airport nearly as nice as, as Changi. So did you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the Polaris Lounge? Didn't so much have breakfast, but certainly had lunch and dinner. And I decided to go back to old routines and have the fluke again for dinner. I have to say it wasn't nearly as good as it was the first time. Pretty much all the food in the lounge was just okay. But the server, shoot, I cannot remember her name. I think her name was Lisa. She did a fantastic job. So just having a bright, chipper, cheery server that was willing to do anything and go out of her way to just make things special makes up for, I think, well, kind of, sort of makes up for the bad food. Well, you know, I got to say, I'm really disappointed to hear that the first time you had that dinner of ground fish in the Polaris Lounge and it was a fluke because I was hoping <laughs> it was going to continue. But, you know, unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. 
But I I also had the, if this is going to be us talking about food, they also had a roasted beet salad that was really, really good. And I tend not to like beets, but I saw it and figured I'd try it. And they were really good. Blue cheese with the beets? No, I do oh. not like blue cheese. Oh, I like blue cheese. I like blue cheese in general, but I the blue cheese beet salad is one of my favorites. But okay, we don't have to have that together. We'll find something else. Exactly. So a full day at the Polaris Lounge, and you ended up boarding around 7 o'clock from EWR to uh, to Cape Town and uh, Polaris class? Yeah, so I was upgraded on that flight, and that was really nice. Except we didn't take off at 8 o'clock like we were supposed to. The flight was delayed because they had issues loading bags. Yeah, I knew you were delayed. I knew you, you were delayed because I have the Flighty app and I was following you. I was visiting with friends and we were having a really nice, quiet little, you know, visit with some wine and, and a fireplace and just having a oh, really nice. nice time. Yeah, the three of us talking, hadn't seen each other in a long time. And I forgot to silence my phone. So ding, 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 Flighty. Oh, what's that? Uh, my friend Brian is delayed. They haven't loaded the bags. Oh, okay. Let me silence <laughs> the phone. I love flighty, but you got to remember to silence the phone because you're going to be noticed. You're going to be informed of everything. It is amazing the quantity of detail that they go into. It was unfortunate being delayed a little bit over a half hour, but I got to hang out with my United flight attendant friends, Charles, David, and Karen. If you remember, they were on my flight, my last flight from Cape Town to Newark. So I got to hang out with them for the entire flight. So it was fun during the pre-boarding time and extended time on the ground to catch up with them. And if I remember correctly, that's cousin Karen, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I wish Karen Coleman was my cousin, but no, she's not. Just really nice person, super flight attendant. Actually, all of the flight attendants, again, on the flight were really, really good. You've always had good luck and you, you know, you've had some great flight attendants, a couple, maybe. Not oh, not perfect. always. <laughs> I was going to say a couple, maybe night, per night perfect, but you gave them, uh, obviously, they'd already had those lovely gifts that you give out to the flight attendants. And uh, did they have anything to say this time? Well, I gave out the gifts again because this was a special flight for me. I included the $2 scratch-off ticket as well. It feels weird, even though I've given them a card and a hook previous, not to give them a card and a hook again. Um, and there are different cards, and I never pay attention to what card's going on what flight, so I have no idea if they're getting the same card twice or not. And if I mix them up and they get a different card, who cares, right? But this time, I put a $2 scratch-off ticket in it, and it was really funny because the purser said that they didn't want any of the flight attendants to scratch off the scratcher before the flight because they didn't want them to pull the stunt. Was it on a JetBlue jet flight? Yeah, yep. the JetBlue, yeah, where the flight attendant got frustrated with his job and pulled the emergency exit door and grabbed a beer and slid down the, the slide. The purser was saying that he didn't want anyone to do that and leave the airplane with a bottle of champagne. So everyone had to wait to scratch their lottery ticket. Well, that's still fun. I think that's great. That's great. What a, what a nice thing to do. I'm sure they really appreciated it. Yeah, no, they definitely did. It's just fun to treat the flight attendants nice and have them know that they are appreciated for what they do. Now, you had said, you know, the service was great with a great crew, but the food wasn't like what it usually is, I guess. Well, actually, the food catering out of Newark is exactly what it usually is, which unfortunately is really bad. Not only was the food bad this time, but actually the ice cream sundae was... Again, I don't want to say it was bad. It just wasn't good. They've changed ice cream vendors. Well, I think they've changed all food vendors. Yuck. I'm really looking forward to the ice cream sundae. And yeah, it's just not good. So, oh, well. 
I guess my cardiologist will appreciate me not eating all the ice cream anyway. We'll just have to get you an ice cream cone next time we get together. That's all there is to it. And if we get together with Captain Al, it'll probably be several ice cream cones. Yeah, I was going to say, it'll be at least two. Yes. Yeah. And for our listeners who don't know Captain Al, Captain Al loves ice cream. He's he's a pilot for a a major airline in Europe, and he loves does love ice cream. And we were at uh, the Farnborough Air Show with him. It was yep. me and Brian and Al, and there were three others. And he stopped at the Mr. Mr. Frosty? No. It's, or Mr. Smoothie? Mr. It, it's something that yeah. sounds off color when you say it in the U.S., and I can't remember what it is right now. But he stopped there on the way in for breakfast and bought us all ice cream cones, which was just nuts. But that's yeah. what we did, and we had it for breakfast. Exactly. That's what you do. Anyway, you took the red eye out on the 26th, and you arrive in South Africa on Monday, the 27th. Mm-hmm at 5, 10 in the afternoon, and you must have just been exhausted. Yeah, it really wasn't that bad. I was able to get some sleep on the flight. So even after spending the day at the airport, it was almost like a normal day. So the three-hour time difference getting from Los Angeles to Newark wasn't so bad. Slept on the plane pretty much as I would normally. Probably slept for seven, eight hours on the plane, which on a 15-hour flight, not so bad. That's great. Yeah, and I think I might have been overserved a little bit at the lounge, so therefore it was much easier for me to fall asleep. That's a nice way of saying that you had a lot to drink, but okay, sounds yeah, good to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, they had some good wines at the lounge that went with the fluke, so I, of course, had to have some. Well, of course, you know, how can, you know, if the fluke's not good, you got to make sure the wines are okay. You know, you got to have something that you're really happy with. But, you know, one of the things I, I've, I've said before is that when I'm traveling east, I always prefer it, if I can, to arrive in the evening rather than an early morning, because then you're really off in terms of your sleep patterns. But arriving in the evening, yeah, you're going to be a little tired. You're okay. You got in at five o'clock. You know, you're going to walk around a little bit. You're going to have some dinner and you get to bed around 10 o'clock and you're back on almost a normal schedule. Yeah, and that's pretty much what happened. Except in Cape Town, you really can't walk around in the, they refer to as the CBD, the Central Business District. Uh, You really can't walk around there after sunset. So I ended up taking an Uber and went to the V&A waterfront area, which is a fairly large, I didn't really call it a tourist area, although there are a lot of tourists there, but locals go there as well. And it's just a safe place to walk around. And there are a lot of shops and a lot of restaurants there. So it was a great place to get a snack and walk around and burn off all the excess energy that I might have had and make sure I was super tired when I went to bed. And then I was able to go to bed and have a full eight hours sleep and woke up in the morning super refreshed. Now, did you stay down there or did you stay at, uh, I, I know you stayed at a Holiday Inn, which is unusual for you in uh, in South Africa, but what made you choose a Holiday Inn and where was it? Well, I had points and therefore it was very easy to stay at the Holiday Inn and the IHG group has a great promotion where if you stay four nights, I can't remember, it's four or five nights you stay, you get another night for free. Yep. And it worked out where I ended up getting a, a free room and it's in an area of the central business district called the St. George Mall and it's very centrally located located to a lot of stuff. So it was a great place for me to stay this trip, all except just at night. You just can't go walking around. You have to go someplace else. But during the day, it's totally fine. And again, you're near all the shops, all the tour places, do pickups there. And we'll talk about some of the tours that I went on as well. So it's just a very conveniently located hotel. And you did a lot of Ubering that night and found out that Uber is incredibly inexpensive in South Africa. It's ridiculously expensive. Uh, I believe I took eight or nine Uber rides. 
The most expensive one was actually my return flight to the airport, and it was an entire $13.28. Now, this is for an Uber ride that's about a half hour in length, and it was only $13.28. There were some Uber rides that were so cheap, my tip to the driver was larger than what the Uber fare was. One of the bills that I got, I could not believe it when I checked my credit card statement, it was $1.28. Oh my gosh. And that included the tip that was twice as much as the Uber ride. Oh my gosh. Wow. I have no idea how these guys make money. I have absolutely no clue. I get, you know, cost of living and, and value just very, very different from country to country, but that's the kind of thing that you like to learn when you're traveling. Yeah. So anyway, and so was the beginning and end of the first day. On the second day, <laughs> <laughs> it's now Tuesday. You did one of my favorite things to do in a city. What did you do? Yeah, I went on the hop-on, hop-off bus. Last time I was there, well, not the last time I was in Cape Town, but the last time I was able to do the hop-on, hop-off bus in Cape Town, I mostly did the red line. So this time I decided to focus on the blue line and the purple line. And the blue line goes to, of course, different places than the red line. The purple line goes to the Constantia wine farm area. So you get to do a little wine tour while you're on the hop-on, hop-off bus. And that was an awful lot of fun. Oh, that sounds great. Your first stop on the tour is the oldest wine farm in Cape Town. And the winery was built, I think, in like 1674 or something like that. I mean, it's really, really old and it's been continuously running. So that was kind of nice. And then there were two other wine farms that I went to as well. Yeah, a lot of fun. And South Africa is known to have some outstanding wines in the world, you know, some some world-class outstanding wine. So I'm sure that you uh, you must have had a good time there. And along the way, being a single traveler, it was kind of fun. I met up with two other single people. And first there was Tatiana, and I actually met up with her on the second wine farm. And they're called wine farms for some reason. They're not called wineries. So at the wine farm. And then when we went to the third winery, I met up with uh, Beatrice we all just had a great time trying the wine. We decided we'd go to the V&A waterfront, and we had dinner together as well. So that was just a great time having three random strangers come together and taste some wine and end up having dinner, and it was fun. Travel like that is great to meet new people and just hang out. And even if it's, you know, one-time thing, it's it's really, really fun. Like what, what we did back in uh, in the UK at uh, at your friend's pub, you know, we were standing mm -hmm. out there and a dog came up to me and I made friends with the dog <laughs> and then I made friends with the dog's owner and then we made friends with the with the kid, with the owner's baby. And, you know, it was just a, a fun time sitting around outside. And it was just great. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what we did here. And it's, again, it's just so much for me anyway, it's so much more fun being able to have dinner, enjoy a drink with someone rather than sitting by yourself. And especially being able to learn other things about people that live in different countries that, that work there. Now, what was funny about Tatiana and Beatrice, they actually were on vacation in Cape Town from that, I can never say it, Namibia. They were volunteering at a school they volunteered at different times. So although they were meeting in Cape Town, they worked at the same place. Well, they volunteered working at the school in Namibia. So it was just fun running into that. So it's like, what are the chances of having two almost sort of former coworkers meet randomly in South Africa? That's just wild. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds like a really, a really busy day. And, uh, it's, you know, it sounds like a really super fun time. So what did you end up doing on Wednesday? 
Oh, Wednesday, I contracted with my buddy Howie. Howie has his own transportation company, and he's a great guy. So if anyone ever goes to Cape Town and needs a driver, let me know. I'll put you in contact with Howie. I arranged for sort of a private tour where he took me around to all the places that I wanted to go to. So we went to Table Mountain National Park, went to Cape of Good Hope, walked up to the lighthouse there because the funicular wasn't working. So that was sort of sad, but it was nice getting a good 15, 20 minute workout walking uphill. While I was there, saw some baboons and ostrich and antelope that were all around. So that was fun. Sounds like uh, like your friend Howie did a good job, not like the tour driver the last time you were in Africa. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Howie's really good. And then we went to, there's another part in the National Park where the Portuguese explorers that first came across the Cape of Good Hope were really innovative in that they made a monument to Bartholomew Dias, who was the first explorer to round the Cape of Good Hope. So they have this huge monument. So he did his circumnavigation of the Cape in 1488, but they put up this monument to him a few years later, and they use it actually as a navigational aid. And they have oh. these really tall pillars all around. And of course, being good Christians, they're also crosses. And yeah, using them as navigational aids. So I thought that that was really neat, the way that they paid homage to certain explorers, but that turned it into functional art. Functional art and also a true way to honor an explorer so that the navigational aids of the, where he explored and what he discovered are up there. So people can always think about him as they're using those navi navigational aids. That's just great. Yeah, it was. It was really fun to see that and learn about that. Okay, so Bartholomew Diaz's monument from 1488. And then, uh, and then where'd you end up? Well, we ended up leaving the park and we went up the eastern side of the Cape. And there's a town called Simonstown. And next to it is a place called Boulder Beach. And that's the place where the jackass penguins are. And I just love these penguins and wanted to stop in and see my old buddies again. So that's what we did. I got to listen to some jackass penguins. Well, better than listening to your jackass co-host. <laughs> I would never call you that. No, you might after this, because I understand after after the jackass penguins, you ended up getting a little snookered. We did. We stopped at this seaside town. I wish I could remember the name of it. Uh, also a harbor fishing town. And there was this really neat, can't even call it a restaurant, a fish and chips place. And we had snook. And yeah, I, I don't think I've ever had snook before and had snook and chips. And instead of you know, cod or halibut or whatever fish that they might use for fish and chips, I got snook. So you got snookered or snookered. <laughs> snookered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was really good. So very, very tasty white fish. So yeah, highly recommend it. Uh, it sounds good to me. And then uh, and then you got into the, the cannabis with the CBD. <laughs> I was waiting for that joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. How he dropped me off. There's, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the name of this night market, but it was the second to the last night that they were doing the night market at the V&A waterfront. And it was just such a fun place to hang out. They had a whole bunch of food stalls. They had people selling their crafts. They had music there. They had several places selling alcohol and a microbrewery that was there. It was just an awful lot of fun. It was a great way to end the day 
just be around a whole bunch of people having a great time and supporting local community businesses that were at the city market. And by the way, CBD is Central Business District, but I just had to get that in. Yes. And if I have it right, that market is called Aranyazikt. Something like that. I'll take your yeah. word for it. So many of the words, I just, I have my talented American tongue that can't pronounce anything properly. So yeah, I don't even try. So, you know, I'm just exhausted hearing about these past couple of days already. The traveling and uh, just the traveling getting to South Africa makes me want to sleep for a week. But, you know, now you've been in South Africa. This is now three days, three days you've been there. And you still got, oh, three more days to go, I guess. Right. What did you end up doing on Thursday? You didn't just spend a day in the hotel? No, I decided to get my steps in and went on some walking tours. The walking tours in Cape Town are really good, not only because they're free, which is really nice. Well, you give a tip to the tour guide if you like the job that they do. The walking tour guides are great, really knowledgeable about the area and tell stories. And eh, even if they're fibbing a little bit, they say it with such confidence, you just have to believe them. So the first tour that I went on was the historic city tour. It included stops at the Parliament building. They refer to it as the Company Garden. So the Dutch East India Company, they actually use Cape Town as a refueling stop really refueling for the seamen that were on board the ship. So they set up a garden, a vegetable garden, where ships could replenish their fruits and vegetables. So you go on the tour of the garden, and it's kind of interesting because they still have an original pear tree that's still alive that was planted way back then. It doesn't bear fruit any longer, but it's the oldest fruit tree from that time. Yeah, and many people don't realize that the Dutch East India Company was a tremendous worldwide conglomerate that really controlled world trade for years and years and years. And uh, and Cape Town was, uh, was, was their place for quite some time. Yeah, it absolutely was. Then I guess the British came in and they had some wars over who was going to administer the area. And uh, they went into a little bit of the history of that. I don't remember many of the details, so we'll let people look up in Wikipedia about the history of South Africa. They did talk a little bit about apartheid, although that was on a subsequent tour where we went into detail over that. So there was some overlap between the walking tours. But of course, we ended up at City Hall, where they have a wonderful life-size statue of Nelson Mandela. And that was cast in the position where he gave his speech when he became president. Uh, and in his hand is his passbook. Not being white, every other race had to have a passbook. And the passbook determined what rights you would have. And he held his passbook as he gave his speech when he was first president of South Africa. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the Boer Wars, but what I do know uh, it's, it's very limited, but it's from uh, a, a book and a film uh, called Breaker Morant. And uh, it, the book, the film was based on a book called Scapegoats of the Empire, which is a very interesting story. And uh, I highly recommend both the book and the film if people want to read it. it goes, I think it's from the 1980s, but a, a brilliant film that took place during the Boer Wars. Yeah, I can imagine so. They have a very interesting history and one that in a way kind of parallels the history of America as well. I, I find it very fascinating there. That was a first walking tour, but one wasn't enough. You had to do a second walking tour. So where'd you end up going? 
The other walking tour was the, hopefully I'm going to pronounce this properly, the BOCAP walking tour. And the BOCAP district of Cape Town, they have these beautiful multicolored buildings and mosques there. And that's predominantly the section of town where the Muslim Malaysians lived, where Muslim Indonesians lived. And it was just beautiful there and fascinating to see these, again, these multicolored houses and the artwork that's put into some of the side streets. Uh, they have these mosaics on the side of the building. And just a really interesting tour to go through and see how the Muslim community lives side by side with everyone else in Cape Town. Wow, I, I'm I'm really impressed. I'm so you know I, I wish I could have been with you on this on a number of these trips. But this <laughs> yeah, is I do one too. This sounds great. This is yeah. really sounds super. That's it. We need to go back. That's all there is to it. For sure, for sure. But it sounds like a long day at this point. And uh, and you'd said that the. Uh, the, the central business district is not a place to walk around after dark and it was getting there. So you ended up doing a, a carryout dinner when tell me about Nando's. It was starting to get dark and I certainly didn't want to stay there. So Nando's is a very famous, I think they're South African. They certainly had them in Zambia as well. But it's a chicken place. It's a lot better chicken, in my opinion, than Kentucky Fried Chicken. But if you can imagine a fast food chicken restaurant, they will do grilled chicken. They'll do fried chicken. They'll do chicken every which way you possibly can. Yes, yeah, so I grabbed some Nando's chicken and went back to the hotel and ate my dinner at the hotel. And after all that walking, I was quite happy just to rest and relax in the hotel anyway. Well, it, it sounds like you must have just been exhausted. I mean, this has been a long, several long days. In regards to the chicken tasting, you know, better than Kentucky Fried Chicken or, or wherever else you end up going for chicken, most of that is because, you know, American-style chicken is, is so, not processed, but it, it, it's factory farmed. Very, very different than when you get when you're in other parts of the world where they mm -hmm. actually let chickens scratch around and, and <laughs> eat what they and, and eat what they're going to eat like chickens do, you know, in, in the yard or in the farmyard or, or wherever it is. And it's a completely different flavor. Uh, that's why they say that, you know, chicken, everything that you taste tastes like chicken because chicken has no real flavor of its own unless you eat chicken that's grown up and was raised not in a factory, but, you know, on, in, in a farm in a barnyard. Yeah, and I'm not going to say that these chickens were farm-raised, naturally raised. They very well could be raised on a farm, but it's just a whole lot better. It, it just seems, to me anyway, it tasted an awful lot better. So, yeah, I'll go along with that. So, on Wednesday, you got snuckered, and now <laughs> on Friday, you're going to be a wino again. So, what did you end up doing on Friday? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I got together with Howie again, and Howie drove me to a neighboring town called Stellenbosch. And Stellenbosch is very famous for their wines. And I went wine tasting. Also, I must say, because I did so much walking the day before, and I really didn't want to start drinking before noon, look at me being reasonable and all that, I went ahead and arranged to have Howie pick me up at 11. So we took a nice leisurely drive to Stellenbosch and stopped a few places along the way. And then we were at the first winery or wine farm, Hazadale, at noon. It was perfect timing for some wine tasting. That sounds great. And is Hazendale the oldest winery in South Africa? And the Hazendale Wine Farm was founded in 1699. So it's not the oldest in the area, but it's certainly been around for a while. And they had some really, really good wines. 
And are you drinking reds or you drinking whites most of the time while you're down there? South Africa famous for one more than the other? Well, it's really famous for the red wine, the grape varietal called Pinotage that was actually created in South Africa. But they have both really good, can't even say both, they have really good sparkling wines, they have really good white wines, and they have really good red wines. So it all depends. And I had all three at Hazendale. And yeah, the sparkling wines, I'd put them up against any French champagne. They're really tasty. Well, I like sparkling wines a lot. And in fact, when I was interrupted by the flighty app telling me that your flight was delayed, <laughs> I was happened to be drinking Prosecco at the time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> the other fun thing about South African wines is they're really inexpensive. They're really inexpensive compared to American wines. These wines that I was drinking, I would put them up against any $25, $30 wine. And these were between $9 and $13 a bottle. And, you know, and you live in California, you know, in Pasadena, where you're getting those Northern California wines at a very, very inexpensive price, mm -hmm. less than what I would be paying for them here. So your $25 and $30 wines where you are are probably more like $35 and $40 wines where I am. So, yeah, that's saying quite a bit about the quality of the South African wines. And let's not leave out the central coast of California. From Santa Barbara to San Luis Obispo, they have some really good wines in that region as well. So it's not just Napa and Sonoma. California wines are getting a lot better throughout the entire state. I guess California wines are just a state of mind. <laughs> a state above everything. So started off at uh, Hazendal and then uh, a little bit of art. I did. Went to, oh, would this be pronounced Delaire Graf Estate? Something like that. They have the largest private art collection in the entire continent of Africa. And not only do they have art on the outside of the building, they have art inside the winery, inside the wine tasting room. They have another building that's dedicated to the, the art that's been collected by the owner. There's just art everywhere on this estate. It's really an amazing place. And they have gorgeous views overlooking the valley as well, because they're kind of on a hillside. Oh, it sounds just wonderful, especially after being able to sit around and enjoy some fine wine. But one stop for fine wine wasn't quite enough. No, I went to another winery called Takara, and fortunately, it's right across the street. Of course, had to uh, sample their wines as well. When I talk about sampling wines, it's not like I'm having a full glass at each place. You just get a little sample. It's a day-long process. The goal is not to get hammered. It's actually to sip, taste, and enjoy the wine. And that's what I did. No, exactly. And if you've ever seen the film Sideways, which is about a uh, a wine tasting trip that went a little sour in, in Northern California, came out- No, Central. No, that's central. that's actually that's Central. Yeah, that's Central California. Central California. Yeah. That it, The film was made in 2004 and Paul Giamatti's in it and Thomas Hayden Church and Sandra Oh and Virginia Masden. And it, it's a great film, but it gives you an idea and actually what sampling is. It's just, it's tasting and it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it really is. You know, and I ought to ask you, you, you went to all those wineries, yeah. you sampled all those wines. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite and did you bring any back? Because you can bring back two bottles, right? I can. You could actually bring back many more than that, but I did not. I didn't because... I was actually bringing back some scotch for for a friend of mine here. Or not scotch. I was bringing back some whiskey for a friend here. So I already had my suitcase relatively full of whiskey. So there wasn't any room for any of the wines. However, 
My most favorite winery, Lavenere, is the last winery that I went to, and I know who sells it here in California. So although I might be paying a little bit more for it, I don't have to pay for shipping and or I don't have to lug it back with me. And that was worth a lot. So Lavenere is in that same area, and that was the last winery that you stopped at? Yeah, it was. And I wanted to make that my last winery because... Last time I was at the winery, I became friends with a guy by the name of Ryan. He's the customer experience manager. And when I was there with Gray and Janice, he took exceptional care of us. And I wrote him, let him, letting him know that I was going to be here this time. And again, he took exceptional care of me and not only poured me some wines that were on the menu, he also poured me some wines that were off the menu, which was really nice. And then... He's kind of a creative chef type person. I'm not sure if he actually made them or he directed the staff to make them, but they're his creations where he made some canapes and he made some out of crocodile, some out of ostrich, and others out of kudu. And for those that don't know what kudu is, it's an antelope. And all three of them were fantastic. And having them paired with the wines that he served them with just made it that much more special. That sounds really wonderful. And for those of you that haven't had crocodile, it does taste a lot like alligator. <laughs> or it tastes like chicken. Um, <laughs> no, it actually, it really tastes like the spice that it's, or the other things that it's paired with. And with the canapes, it was layered with various things and it was so thinly sliced. The texture of it was really great. Yeah, I liked it a lot. As I did the ostrich as well. I believe that was the first time I ever had ostrich, but it was good. Yeah, ostrich, I've, I think I've had it only once. I remember enjoying it. And the only time I had alligator was in fried alligator. And, you know, fried anything. It could, it could have been anything. It yeah, it could have been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. could have been. Yeah, and then the kudu, it was also super tender, super tasty, and just pairing it with the wines was was a great way to end the wine tasting portion of the day. Yeah, but it got you to meet a fat butcher, apparently. <laughs> it did. There's a restaurant called The Fat Butcher. As it turns out, Ryan knows the owner, Rita, and Rita is an owner chef. And the Fat Butcher is a place where if you don't make reservations two to three weeks ahead of time, you're not getting in. The day before, I, I didn't plan this out very well. So the day before, I called up the Fat Butcher and I said, hey, I'd really like to come and dine with you. And they say, yeah, we'd really like you to as well, except we're booked. We could see you in two weeks. Like, well, that's not going to work because I'm not going to be in Cape Town all that long. We could put your name on a waiting list. I go, okay, fine. So I have my name on the waiting list. I figured I have nothing to lose. So I asked Howie to drive me over to the fat butcher and stick my head in the door. And I say, hey, is there any way you could possibly squeeze me into a table? I don't care where it is. And they say, well, we can't for dinner. However, if you want to come at 530, we can seat you, but you have to be out of the table by 730. Wow. Can't argue with that. Now, two hours for a dinner, being an American, I consider that an extended period of time. I said, as long as your chef can get the food out in two hours, I can certainly eat it in two hours. So it was a little bit early for dinner, 
But I treated Howie to dinner at the Fat Butcher and I got to meet owner Rita and I think she came out to talk to me because I told the waiter that that I knew Ryan over at the winery and she came out and was just super nice and pleasant. And she is also, I'm sure there's a better term for this, but she is a working chef in that she managed the restaurant. She was directing the placement of tables. She was directing her wait staff. And then she would also go back into the kitchen as well. So she was highly involved as the owner head chef of the restaurant. This sounds like an amazing restaurant, but what did you have? Well, it started out with a side salad that I thought was just going to be some lettuce. And there was a whole bunch of other stuff that I can't name. Uh, I, I, I wish I was more of a foodie, but there were some different cheeses, some different tomatoes in there. And it was just, it was a, a great salad. How he ordered the lamb ribs that came out perfect. And I ordered a ribeye that I probably have to say was the best ribeye I've ever had in my entire life. It was one of those that melted in your mouth. Now, Rita, it's, it's kind of interesting with the meat. Rita sources the cows from a farm up in Johannesburg. You were talking about having free-range chicken. Well, these are actually free-ranged cows. They're specially treated and specially fed, and they're not over-exercised and where they actually do the slaughtering is very close to where they live their life. So they're not super, I would say muscular from the sense of where the animal's being exercised before they get to the slaughterhouse. And I think you could really tell based upon what they eat and how they're treated. The meat was just delicious. So they graze their way to the abattoir. Yes. Were there side dishes? Was there dessert? Yeah, there were side dishes. I'm trying to remember now. There were green beans. There was also a beet side dish. And there were truffle-coated, truffle-encrusted French fries, or as they call them, chips. And they were really delicious as well. Wow. Yeah, we definitely got taken care of. Actually, besides having the owner come over and say hi, I don't think we were treated any differently than any other customer. They just treat everyone really, really nice. If it's not a Michelin-starred restaurant, it should be. They're definitely missing out by not giving this place a star or two or three or four. It's, it's that good. You know, Nando's was sounding good to me up until you started telling me about this. <laughs> and this sounds absolutely great. And I must say that, well, we got to remember, you also got us into the Greyhound Inn, which was also <laughs> incredibly phenomenal. And that was for Sunday dinner, which on uh, which in the UK is, is a yeah, major it's deal. It's a big deal. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it, it boy, it was worth it. That was, a, I still think about that meal. Well, I actually knew about this place from a, what, three, four trips ago when I was in Cape Town. And every time I've been in Cape Town, I've tried to get a reservation at this place and I've never been able to get in. So going for an early seating as a walk-up was definitely the way to go. Was there dessert? There was. It was a really, really good dessert that quite honestly, I cannot remember. I know how he had a cheesecake that was really good. And I cannot remember for the life of me what I ordered. But I also know that it was delicious. 
Well, I got to tell you, perhaps one of the best desserts I ever had was with you when I finally, for the first time in my life, when we were at the Greyhound Inn and they, they made it special for me yeah. because I wanted it, the sticky toffee pudding. Exactly. God, that was so good. But anyway. Yeah, I'm going to have to look at the menu and see what I ordered. Gosh, I can't believe I don't remember the dessert, but it was really good. I can't believe you didn't take pictures and send them to me. I mean, this is the stuff I need to see. But And there's no calories when you're only looking at it. So that's even better. Well, I didn't send you the picture. I have a picture of Howie and his meal. I didn't send you that picture? I don't think I got that one. Okay. I will have to send that to you. Sorry about that. You were raving about South African wines. Did you have a bottle of wine with dinner? We had, uh, well, we I had uh, part of a bottle of the uh, Lavenir, and I asked for a cork and took the rest of it home. Howie had just a taste of the wine uh, because he was driving, and that was it. So I got to share the bottle of wine for the taste, but yeah, took the rest home. Now, you were saying how inexpensive Uber was. I got to know, this sounds like a real a five-star dinner. You know, this sounds like something that if, if you and I were going to go out for that, even here in, in Maine, where it's less expensive than L.A. or New York, it would probably cost us $250. I was just going to say, that's probably what it would be here in L.A. Of course, you could spend more than that. But absolutely, this definitely was worth every penny of the $250 as well. So the bottle of wine, the starter salad, the two entrees, the side dishes, $98. Oh, my God. <laughs> As I used to say to my customers at Crazy Eddie's, a better deal you couldn't get with a gun. Exactly. But, you know, we have now covered six days, your trip over from L.A. to South Africa and five days in South Africa. We have four days to go. I think we should probably close out this part of the episode and begin when we come back on April Fool's Day. What do you think? No, I think that's the perfect way to end the show. And yeah, there's so much more to talk about. So when we left you here in South Africa on your sixth day there, how many miles were left on your agenda? Well, I had 2,983,603 miles. And that means I had 6,126 miles to go. 6,126 miles and four days, and we will be back with those four days and those 6,000 miles in the next part of the Journey is Reward podcast. Sounds great. Look forward to talking with you then, sir. So from Portland, Maine, here in the USA, this is your main man, Micah. And this is your global traveler, Brian. Fly safely. Hey, wait, what about a song for this show? Do we have a song? We have a song for this show. It's a song that I have wanted to use for a South Africa show from the very, very beginning, but couldn't get around to it. Before I announce what it is, I'm going to give listeners a little bit of a chance to guess. It is a song by a very, very famous South African man, and it is a song that absolutely, without a doubt, has the best, absolutely the best, and the most cowbell of any song ever. <laughs> So you can't say more cowbell on this one. I love the cowbell on this song. And this is you, Masakela, grazing in the grass.
I had an idea and now it's gone. Um, <laughs> Hate it when that happens. No, I, I, I got it. I got it. But hang on a second. But even with no, that didn't work. <laughs> but this week or or this episode on from um no, I'm sorry, it wasn't it ah, I need to do that over again. No, I don't even remember where I left off. Uh <clears throat> delayed because of check bags. It's not the oldest winery, but it certainly is old. And the date there is wrong, and I'm quickly looking to find it. If I have it, I don't. Uh, I think it was like 1684 or something. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can find it real quick. 1699. Okay, 16. Oh, that's why the zero's right next to the. And and let's not leave out the Central Valley, not the Central Valley, 